G'day, it's good to be with you. Jeff Reed is my name, and it's my privilege to think with you about God's Word, the Bible. We're thinking about Ephesians chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, and uh, also chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. If you've got a Bible at home, it'd be great to have it open and to follow along, because I'll read those passages, try to think about what they mean, and particularly how they apply to us in the circumstances that we find ourselves in today. Let's pray, and we'll ask God for his help. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, thank you that we have your unchanging word in these changing times. Please help us to understand what you say in your word. Help us to think rightly about this crisis that we're in. And please comfort us with the great news of the Lord Jesus Christ and our future in him. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever seen experiments where they put rats in mazes? Or maybe, have you ever been in a maze? I remember uh, one time many years ago going in a maze, I think it was in, uh, up in Queensland. It was, it was walled with high hedges. And so you walk around, but you can't see where you're going. It's very disconcerting. I mean, I get lost in the shops, let alone in a maze. But you, you keep on making decisions turn right, turn right, turn left, but you don't know where the end is and so you don't know what direction you're supposed to go. For most people, life is a bit like being in a maze. Every day they're faced with decisions that they have to make about their lives, but they don't know what their destination is. They don't know what their future holds, and so they don't know the way to go. People live their lives with no idea where they're going, and so they don't know how to get there. We're like rats in a maze. And that's why, that's why what Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians here is revolutionary. In these verses of Ephesians, Paul tells us where we and the whole universe are going. He tells us our future. He tells us our destination. And he tells us God's plan to get us there. Where we're going and how to get there. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, Paul says that God has made known to us the mystery of his will, that the secret of what he wants to do, the secret of the future is now revealed. God has shown us where the universe is going. He's shown us our eternal destiny. And what is it? Jesus will return and everything will be united under his rule. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 8. Have a look with me. With all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. 
People long to know what the future holds. You, you open a women's magazine and you see pages and pages about it, astrology and tarot cards and psychics, or you go to the, the Mind Body Spirit Festival and thousands of people are there. It's packed with people queuing up to listen to tarot card readers and crystal ball gazers. They're, they're desperate to know what their future holds. And all along, God has already told us what the future holds. All along, we know everything in heaven and on earth will be united under Jesus Christ as Lord. Do you know what, friend? That is your future. That is where you are going. At the end, you will be subjected to Jesus. If you're not a Christian, you will be defeated by Jesus and judged. If you are a Christian, well, then you'll come home to your Saviour and King. But either way, the day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Friends, that's the destination. That's where God is bringing the universe. And in chapter 4 of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul shows us God's plan to get his people to the destination. God's plan to get his people to the destination. Chapter 4 and verse 11. Chapter 4 and verse 11, just turn it up with me. Chapter 4, verse 11, Paul talks about how the risen and ascended Jesus gives gifts to his church. And, and, and what are the gifts? Well, they're different kinds of people. First, it says that Jesus gave us apostles and prophets as the, as the foundation of the church, it says in chapter 2. Uh, these apostles and prophets whose, whose message we have now in the New Testament. Verse 11. So, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets. Uh, the apostles and prophets, they give the true message about Jesus in Scripture. But it's not just that Jesus gave gift, gifts back then, he also gives gifts now. Jesus has, now has given us evangelists and pastor-teachers. Uh, the evangelists, they evangelize. They share the apostolic message of Jesus with the world. And the pastor teaches, they pastor, they care for people, they teach, they instruct people and, uh, so, so that they can understand and live out the apostolic gospel. But more than that, these pastor teachers, they equip people to faithfully serve God. Still in verse 11, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service. And then notice the purpose. Why did Jesus give all these gifts? Why should the world be evangelized? Why should God's people be cared for and taught and, and equipped to do ministry? Why? What's the, what's the plan? Well, it's so that we will come to God's destination. It's so that we will fulfill God's great plan for the universe, that the plan that we saw back in chapter 1, it's so we will reach unity under Christ. Still in verse 12 so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, Paul talks more about what this unified and mature church will look like. The mature church doesn't wander off after the latest fads or fashions. It isn't confused by the misinformation of the 
internet or social media. Instead, the, the mature church stands firm. It, it sticks with the apostolic message about Jesus. Uh, each member speaks the truth about Jesus lovingly so that together we grow up in him, so that together more and more we submit to him as our Lord. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead... Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And then Paul finishes this section with an illustration, flows from the idea of Jesus being the head. He, talks, he gives a picture of what the United Church should look like. He says the church should be a bit like a, a human body. Jesus is the head. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, they are the ligaments that hold it together. And the church is the body itself. But notice, with each part doing its work so that we grow together. From the end of verse 15, the head that is Christ, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Okay. Can you see what the Apostle Paul is saying here in these passages from Ephesians? God has a destination for the universe. Everything will bow to Christ. Everything will be united under King Jesus. And God has a plan to get his people to the destination. The risen and ascended Jesus has given gifts to the church. The apostles and prophets whose message we have in the Bible. Evangelists and pastor teachers to, to pass on the message and to care for and instruct and equip all Christians to do ministry. Because it's, it's as we all serve Jesus that we grow to unity and maturity. It's as we all play our part that the body grows. It's as we serve together that we reach the destination that God has for us. Friends, here's the biblical picture of church. We participate in God's plan to unite everything under Jesus by every one of us doing our part, by every one of us serving Jesus and serving his people. If you think about it, it's a pretty radical picture. This is not what most churches look like. Now, the most successful churches around today follow what I call the theatre model. You've got your preacher and your band, and their aim is to put on a good show, the music is excellent, the preacher gives an entertaining and inspiring message. These kinds of churches give a top-class presentation, and the congregation... The congregation is like the audience. They come along to see the show. Or the, the more traditional model of church is what I call the ferry model. The minister is the ferry captain. He preaches a good sermon. He leads the worship with a nice singing voice. He does weddings, baptisms and funerals. And he regularly visits everyone for a nice cup of tea. And where the congregation? 
they're the passengers. They're going along for the ride. Now, there's nothing wrong with having good music. There's nothing wrong with an inspiring sermon. There's nothing wrong with a competent minister who does lots of ministry. But can you see how the biblical model is different? In the Bible, the pastor-teacher doesn't do all the ministry. In the Bible, the ministry is done by everyone. And the minister's job is to help them. Verse 16, the whole body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And the pastor teacher in verse 12, he's pastoring and teaching with the aim of equipping God's people for works of service. John Stott puts this very well. Let me quote from him. He says, The New Testament concept of a pastor is one who helps and encourages all God's people to exercise their gifts. His teaching and training are directed to this end, to enable the people of God to be a servant people, ministering actively but humbly. Instead of monopolizing all ministry himself, he actually multiplies ministries. The biblical church, it's not like a theater or a ferry. It's more like, it's more like an orchestra. Everyone has their part to play, their instrument to play. It's more like a sports team. Everyone has their position, the, 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 the need to play their part. It's more like, it's more like a dragon boat, not a ferry. Everyone needs to row. Or to go back to Paul's illustration, it's more like a body where each part has to do its work. Friends, I believe that we are at a critical turning point in the life of our church. This coronavirus could be the making or the breaking of us as Christians and as a church. As we face this crisis, we need to ask ourselves a question. We need to ask ourselves a question, and it's not, how can I stay safe? And it's not even, how can I stop the spread of coronavirus at all costs? No, no. The question that we need to ask ourselves is this. How will I, in these circumstances, play my part in God's plan for the universe? How will I, in these circumstances, become a more mature Christian myself? How will I, in these circumstances, play my part in building the body of Christ so that the world is evangelized and so that my brothers and sisters don't drift away, but so that they are grown in maturity? Do you see the question? How do I play my part in God's plan during this crisis? How do I grow myself in maturity? How do I help other people grow in maturity in Christ? Friends, I've spent a lot of time in this last week or so agonising over how I can best play my part. How can I best pastor and teach you in this time? How can I best equip you for works of service to help you play your part in growing Christ's body? I don't know how long it's going to be until we can open our doors again. Maybe, 
God willing, as little as six months. More likely 12, maybe up to a year and a half. Let's just for a moment, let's, let's work with a worst case scenario. Let's imagine we cannot meet together in church for 18 months. If we can't meet together as a church for 18 months, well, how can I, how can we as a church leadership, how can we best help you to play your part in growing the body of Christ? First thing I want to say is this. I will encourage you to obey the government. We must obey what the government tells us at this time. If we disobey our government and that leads to people catching the coronavirus, then we will bring the gospel into disrepute. We can't let that happen. We need to obey the governing authorities that God has put over us. And I should say that I continue to be of the view that they're doing a great job based on the best possible advice. Second thing to say is this. I don't believe that I will be doing you any favours if I continue to produce a church service for you to watch on TV. In 1964, Canadian communication expert Marshall McLuhan wrote a book called Understanding Media. And he argued in that book that the way a message is delivered is not neutral. The way a message is delivered contributes to how the message is received. His famous dictum was, the medium is the message. So, what does the medium of TV do to the message of Jesus? Well, TV is designed to entertain us. That's what it's for. And with TV, you're in control of the message. You know, the other day I heard a person say this. They said, uh, great. Now it's not just breakfast in bed, now it's church in bed as well. That, I think, captures the problem very nicely. In church, you're present with the preacher. I can eyeball you. Literally, you sit under the preacher. And if you're in church, you can't be in bed. You can't be doing the ironing while you half listen. You can't be drinking a coffee and munching on a Tim Tam while you control the message. You shouldn't be on the phone. You can't fool forward the bits that you don't like. You can't change channel. The way that we're given the message will vastly impact the way we receive it. And friends, when it comes to the authoritative word of God, there's something good and right about getting yourself dressed up and then being forced to sit down, shut up and listen. But it's more than just that the medium is wrong. Watching church on TV is a vastly different experience to being at church. Being at church means you have other people around you to engage with, to serve, to keep you accountable. Being at church means you need to think not just about yourself, but about other people as well. Maybe you'll be serving children, you'll be teaching youth, you'll be welcoming people, or you'll be looking out for newcomers or or maybe looking out for that person who you know has been doing it tough or maybe you'll be reading the Bible or praying or cleaning up after the service. At at church, at church it's so much easier to join in the singing and actually participate. At church you'll hopefully stick around for morning tea or for supper and, and, and encourage other people. Being at church, it gives you lots and lots of opportunities to engage with people and to play your part in the building up of the body of Christ. And in our church, we have something like 300 people who serve. 
the fact is, watching church on TV is not going to give you that opportunity. Friends, let me put this as plainly as I can. If you think you're going to watch church on TV for 18 months and come out a more mature Christian, you're kidding yourself. It's not going to happen. More likely, you'll come out singing along with Kurt Cobain. Here we are now, entertain us. I feel stupid and contagious. Here we are now, entertain us. Our friends, as it currently stands, we can't attend our place of public worship. We're closed. And we can't hold church events face-to-face in people's homes. That presents us with extraordinary challenges. It means for us as leaders of the church, we need to think very hard about how we can get you engaged and serving and participating and playing your part in growing the body of Christ. So what we've decided is this. Uh, until Easter, that is three Sundays, we're going, to offer, uh, we're going to continue to offer a recorded service. But after Easter, we want to implement a new system. It's a system where we equip you in groups to do church online. Uh, you'll be in small, what we might call Zoom churches, of about 20 people. And in your Zoom churches, you'll find that you have more opportunity to serve, not less, more opportunity to read the Bible, more opportunity to pray, more opportunity to uh, engage with people. Um, We will continue to offer you input. You'll get an order of service to follow, so we're all doing the same thing. You'll get some children's resources. You'll get a a spotlight to make us feel united and informed, and and you'll, you'll get a Bible talk. But we'll try to provide it to you in a way that engages you rather than entertains you, that, that, that keeps you in relationship with people even though we can't meet face to face. We're thinking hard about this. We're working hard on it. We're, we're thinking hard about how to care for you and how to equip you. But friends, in the, in the final analysis, we can't make you grow. Of course, only God can make you grow, but, but it's something that you need to be thinking very carefully about for yourself. You need to ask yourself, how am I going to come out of this crisis a more mature Christian? How can I grow myself in Christ through this time? So what do you think? Any ideas? Let me, let me suggest a couple of ideas. Maybe forced isolation is your great opportunity to finally get into that habit of reading the Bible and praying each day. The the habit you've been too busy to get into before. Um, Maybe maybe being stuck at home, it's it's your opportunity to to read that Christian book that's been on your shelf for so long. Maybe the fact that there's no travel time means that you've got more time to start an online theology course. You understand the question, don't you? How can you use this time with the opportunities that it brings to grow? But more than that, there's another question that we must ask ourselves. How can I come out of this crisis having played my part growing Christ's body? How can I come out of this crisis having served other people to grow them in maturity? Well, again, here are some ideas. Uh, Maybe being stuck together at home with the kids... This is your opportunity to start that family devotion that you've been meaning to do for years. Or maybe 
Maybe now that you can't see your Bible study each week in person, maybe it's time to get into the habit of, of, of contacting them during the week. Maybe each day, say I'm going to ring one person from my group and pray with them. Or maybe this is the opportunity to, to get onto a WhatsApp group together in, in, with your groups and, and to encourage each other day by day. Maybe it's time for you to change the way that you use social media. Maybe now's the time to be overtly Christian. Uh, share the gospel with people on your Instagram page. You can't take photos of yourself going to the beach, so take a photo of yourself reading the Bible and post that. Uh, encourage other believers by, by telling them on Facebook what you've been learning from Scripture. Take the opportunity to be encouraging others in Christ. Or maybe now, now is the time, as, as long as we're allowed to by law, to meet with people who need you. As the law currently stands, you could meet someone for a takeaway coffee outside. Get your coffee, find a nice spot outside, talk to them about how they're going and pray for them. I've just done it today with, uh, with someone in the congregation. It's doable. It's encouraging. And boy, if we're locked away for 18 months, we're going to crave each other's company. Who do you know who might benefit from from you taking the opportunity to bravely meet with them. What lonely person stuck by themselves would just benefit so much from that? Or maybe what about that mum who's just going stir-crazy, just about ready to murder her children? How, what a blessing could you be to her? Friends, we have the opportunity here on earth and here in this crisis to bring eternal benefit to people. We can bring people to Christ. We can help them not to drift away from Christ. Do you know what, friends? That is way more important than running away and living in fear of some virus. It was Jesus who said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Well, friends, maybe now is the time to start thinking creatively about how we can help each other in our church. What about, um, here's an example to consider. By God's grace, you're blessed to still have a job, but you're stuck having to work from home. The kids can't go to school. If you're going to get any work done, they need someone to look after them. Meanwhile, someone else at church has lost their job. Well, here's an opportunity. Maybe you could offer them a generous amount of money to look after your children at home with you or to clean your house or do the garden or walk the dog. What kinds of opportunities will there be for us to bless each other, help each other in this time? Again, as church leadership, we're going to try to facilitate this kind of loving service to each other. Friends, most people don't know where they're going. And so they've got no idea of the way. They're like rats in a maze. But friends, it shouldn't be like that for us as Christians. We know exactly where we're going. Everything will be united under the lordship of Jesus. And so friends, this crisis, it's a crossroads for us. This is going to show what we really believe. This is going to show what we're really living for. Are we going to frantically run around the maze like the rest of the world, living in fear, desperately clinging to this life that we can't keep anyway? Or is this going to be the time that we get on board with God's plan? 
Will this be the time that we bravely play our part in building the body of Christ? Let's pray. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your magnificent plan to bring everything in heaven and on earth together in unity under the Lordship of Jesus. We thank and praise you that Jesus is our Lord and our Saviour. And so we know that that ending is a happy one for us. Father, please work in us by your Spirit so that we continue to trust and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Please work in us by your Spirit so that in this time of crisis, we work hard to ourselves grow in maturity and to grow other people in maturity in Christ. For we pray it in his name. Amen.